morning, church family. Great job. Appreciate you guys up here this morning, every week, getting our hearts ready to worship God. As they're transitioning off the stage, let me give you a few housekeeping reminders. If you ordered a shirt, there are bags with your names on them on the Welcome Center. Please sure and, and take those. You are responsible to make sure you pay for those shirts. I'm sure nobody here wants that hanging on their heads on Judgment Day that you didn't pay for a t-shirt at Grace Baptist Church. You don't want Jesus to bring that up. So just do the right thing and pay for your t-shirt. Put that money in the box out there, right, and, and take your t-shirt home and get ready. You will need that for ministry this week. This week we have multiple opportunities to reach out in our community with the gospel to engage our world for Christ let me mention them real quick. Thursday, we will be hosting Unica Baptist, or excuse me, Unica Baptist Church, <laughs> Unica High School football team for dinner, and we'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with them uh, right here in our fellowship hall. Uh, we're going to do pulled pork. Jasper's going to be helping with that. Some of the rest of you, if you're interested in helping serve or decorating or whatever, getting that ready, please see me afterwards. We can use more help. Uh, the other thing is, uh, we will have a presence up here at Covered Bridge Days. We have a, we're going to have a t- uh, table set up. It's going to have pens from the church, water bottles. We're emphasizing prayer. So we're asking people, how can we pray for you in order to make bridge conversations over to the gospel? And we're going to have a little sandwich board where texts or prayer requests in. We're going to have little cards to take prayer requests down and put them on a prayer wall. Hopefully you're comfortable enough to pray with them if they'll let you. You know, you have to kind of ask permission. It's okay if I pray for you. Make it real nice. And then, uh, and then it's just going to be a great opportunity to share the gospel and show Jesus' love multiple times this weekend coming. So those are coming up. Please Prepare yourselves, sign up, email is where you sign up, you have trouble with that, contact the church office. And then finally, our 80-year anniversary is coming, 1941 to 2021, and we're going to have a combined worship service. Uh, please make all efforts to be there, to be with the entirety of the body, one, one worship service, one assembly that day, and uh, we will uh, see that here in, on October 10th. It's like October 10th, so that's the 10th month. It's the 10th day of the 10th month, and it's at 10 o'clock, so it's 10, 10, 10, okay? Can you remember that? Straight 10s, okay? Three tens is when the 80th anniversary is. All right, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. We're picking up where we left off last week, just to refresh your memory, because we all sleep. Uh, by the way, I was very creative with the title this week. I took the ESV heading for this section, which says, Have No Fear, and I made that the title of the sermon. Aren't I creative? Aren't you proud of me, church, for being so creative? Anyway, um, Today I want to talk to you about the fear of God because what what we saw last week was this. Jesus tells them, he's got this huge crowd all around him, and he he doesn't focus on the huge crowd, he focuses on the disciples. And he tells the disciples in chapter 12 what? You, I need you to listen to me about not being what? A Pharisee. Don't have the leaven of being a Pharisee. And he is very honed in on them. You need to listen to me about this issue of being a Pharisee. And they, of course, are engaged, and, and he tells them not to do it. And in the section we're going to look at today, 4 through 7, is the prescription to prevent the apostles, the disciples that are there, from slipping into Pharisaicalism. And the prescription is this, fearing God. Okay, uh, That's a term that is not often used today. But it's a term that's common in Scripture. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to unpack that and see what the Scriptures have to say about that. All right. Here's the word, here's the word of God, church. Listen. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him 
who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are you are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Amen. This is the holy, inerrant, infallible word. Remember what, what the Bible says. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Okay. All right, let's look at this. Let's unpack this. I have a quote here from a Puritan from many moons ago, many years ago. Uh, John Flannery, 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 old Puritan, here's what he said about fear in the human condition. Among the creatures God has made, devil's only exception, man is the most apt and able to be his own tormentor. Of all the surges in which he lashes and afflicts his mind and body, none is found so cruel and intolerable as his own fears. Mm. Mm. Fear is a terrible thing, isn't it? But fear is a necessary thing as well, right? What we need to make a distinction of is what is proper and improper fear, proper and improper fear, and how it functions and manifests itself in our life. Because fear is actually a reflection of priorities, values, and right and wrong thinking. When a a vital connection between proper fear and not being afraid, that sounds very oxymoronical to say that. It sounds very kind of backwards to say that. But there's a direct correlation between fearing the right things and not being afraid of the wrong things. And this morning we're going to look at that closely. Okay. Before we jump in the commands here, let's notice something that's important in Scripture. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, friends. He calls them friends. Now, this is interesting to me because in all of the synoptic gospels, all four of the gospels, when Jesus has this conversation with the disciples, he does not call them friends in any of the other three except for this discourse in Luke. Now, John records him calling the disciples friends in all of that discourse, like the upper room discourse right before he goes to the cross, like you'll find that in the gospel of John. But here, he is addressing those who would think themselves and call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ, those who are friends of Jesus. And so many of you that are here this morning, as I'm looking across the room, you probably fall in the same category. You call yourself friend of Christ, or Christ calls you friend in salvation. And so this sermon this morning, this text this morning, is for you in particular. That's the audience it's pointed towards, all right? So that's who it is is addressing. And so let's look at this. First of all, one command, right? First he says, do not fear those who can kill the body. And after that, there is nothing they can do. Now this is pretty extreme. 
Someone's taking of human life from another one is an extreme thing, and it pulls at the strings of our hearts. I mean, let's be honest. We spend billions of dollars as a country to make sure that human life is not taken in our U.S. military and all the different branches. We don't want to see human life taken unnecessarily. Uh, We try to spend a lot of money to keep our bodies alive and, and to put up defenses to keep ourselves alive. I was trying to think today uh, or this week, when was one time I thought my body, my earthly life was truly in danger? And Beck, I don't know if you're in here or if you can remember this. I don't know if you were with me or not for this. It was whenever we first arrived in Louisville, Kentucky at Southern Seminary because Dr. Moeller and crew is a rough bunch, buddy. They will rough you up, son. That's a joke. That's a joke. I took a wrong turn in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, I was trying to get familiar with my area where I lived. And I ended up in West Louisville. Now, some of you all know Miss Harold and Miss Martha Smith, okay? And Mr. Harold and Miss Martha grew up in the West End of Louisville. But I got news for you. The West End of Louisville in the 1940s that they grew up in is not the West Louisville of 2003 and today, okay? It's a little rougher now than it used to be, all right? Uh, I took a wrong turn, ended up in West Louisville, and I was at a stoplight. One man began approaching my left side of the truck, walking to me at a fast pace. Another man was approaching me on the passenger side, right side. So I'm looking over here, I'm looking over here. Happened to glance up in the rearview mirror. Two men are walking towards my truck from behind me. So what do you do in that situation? I'll tell you what you do. You put her in drive, get your foot off the brake, and you drive on even though the light is red, right? And that's exactly what I did. I drove on. I had no idea what the intention of these men were, and I was not going to stick around and find out because it was four on one and, I, and there was only a piece of glass in a car that was keeping them from me, right? And a lock and a door. Wasn't a lot of confidence in that, okay? That's the closest I think I've ever felt threatened in my life in a situation like that. I, I made my way back, obviously, by God's help to where I was supposed to be. The Bible says here, the body, don't be afraid of those who can just kill the body. You know, I don't know... Who you think of is like some of the worst murderers in history. Maybe it's Adolf Hitler. Maybe you think of Mao. Maybe you think of Stalin. Maybe you think of the commander of North Korea. I can't think of his Kim Jong-un. Whoever it is. All these men, and there have been women too who have been murderers, but all these men are primarily able to just kill what? Just the body, right? That's as far as the extent of their authority goes. They can take human life, which is a big deal. It's a big deal. Jesus is saying, you know, but it's not the biggest deal. You've got to fear something more, right? Now, what I want to submit to you this morning is this. We all in this room have a problem with fear of man. All of us in here. Fear of man is similar to pride, right? If somebody walked in here today and stepped up on the stage, you know, between songs or whatever, before I got to preach and said, Guys, listen, I just want everybody in here to know I am the most prideful person in this whole church. (laughs) We would all be like, I guess you are if you stood up and said you're the most prideful person. Or if somebody stood up and said, I'm the most humble person in this church, we would all immediately question if somebody stood up and was counting all, uh, all to us how humble they were. Most of us struggle with pride at various degrees and levels to a degree that sometimes we don't even think about how badly it's infecting our hearts, lives, and souls. And what I want to submit to you is fear of man is a twin cousin 
to pride and that it has infected your life and your heart and your actions and your fear overall to a degree that you are probably not even aware of or recognizing at this point. How do we know? Well, if you, are, if you like to read books, let me, let me submit a book to you to read that is all about the fear of man. You probably know what it's going to be. Probably know. Edward Welch wrote a book, When People Are Big and God is Small. When People Are Big and God is Small. Okay? And if you say, if you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, Pastor Travis, I don't think I have a problem with fear of man. I want you to get a copy of that book. I actually told the last service, some of the library folks were there, I said, let's buy a copy of this book for the library so that everybody can have access to this book and have access to a good mirror to look at. I want to draw your attention, and particularly in this book, to pages 14 through 17. In pages 14 through 17, he diagnoses and gives you manifestations of fear of man in your life. Okay, Manifestations of fear of man in your life. Here is a few from those pages, just a few. Okay, There are much more than this, but here's a few. I struggle uh, with peer pressure. That's a form of fear of man. I struggle with fear of rejection of other people. It's fear of man. I fear and struggle with being hurt physically or emotionally by other people. That's fear of man. I struggle because I have a deep sense of needing somebody else. That is also a manifestation of fear of man. You know, C.J. Riley, a great pastor preacher of yesterday, said this. The fear of man is one of the greatest obstacles which stands between the soul and heaven. What will people say of me if I give my life to Christ? What will people do if I follow him in such a way? Wouldn't it be better if I just settle for a comfortable form of Christianity and for Christ that is similar enough to them, uh, but every, every, ha- every nail that stands up above the refs gets the hammer and gets nailed back in the line? Wouldn't it be better if I just got by with a lukewarm form of faith and fear that doesn't disturb my friends and family and, and make me highlighted there in a, in a mark for ridicule or disappointment. Hmm. You see, fear of man keeps men and women and boys and girls bound up in sin and slaves to their own flesh and the devil. Who would dare want to face some of that? Welch goes on to say, in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. All experiences of the fear of man share at least one common feature. People are big. That means, you know, you've made their opinion idolaters in your life. It doesn't mean they're fat, right? Don't read it that way. It's not what Welch is saying. He's saying they have become, their opinion and what they do is what is utmost important. They've grown to idolatrous proportions in our lives, and they control us. There is not room in our hearts to worship both people and God. And so, when people are big, God is not. 
Listen to Proverbs 29, 25. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, a trap, right? But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And then there's this intrinsic connection between fearing God and trusting God. Listen to Psalms 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life of whom I shall be afraid. Right? You're afraid of God. When God, so if Welch is right, when people are big, God is small. But if you reverse that, according to this psalm and according to this proverb, and God becomes big, people become what? Small. Psalm 56, 3 through 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Listen to Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can have confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So what are these passages telling us? What is Psalms telling us? Proverbs telling us? And Hebrews telling us? The same thing Jesus is telling us. And Jesus is telling us straight from his lips, don't fear man or women. It's all lumped together. Don't fear other people over God. Don't fear your future. You know, this week I thought about there are millions of people who are just glued to their television screens. I mean, they're just watching it like crazy, watching the Dow tick up and down, worried about their financial futures. Worried about what's going to happen if the, the, this person does that or that person does this. This party does that or that party does this. And when, I, when I assess the problems in this nation and I think about if I had to prioritize what I see as a pastor, the overwhelming, overarching problem, we don't need another political party to turn corrupt as the, the two that we have are, right? We don't need another one. We don't need more money thrown at the situation. I think... What we need is to fear God in this country. That is primary first and foremost. And some of these other issues that we deal with work themselves out when we fear God fundamentally. The question then emerges. With so much in our world to be afraid of, how can we not fear? Right? Would you agree with me when I say we live in fearful times? Do you think these are fearful times to live in? I think so. If you don't think so, you're probably blind, right? <laughs> there, I remember when I first, um, when our kids were first learning to swim. I, don't, I think I talked to Beck about this some, but I've just about quit watching the news. I just about can't tolerate it anymore. I'll just be honest. I just don't have much of a stomach for it anymore because it's just I'm fear-mongering, fear-mongering, fear-mongering. Um, I remember this was when our kids were much younger, so about 10 years ago, maybe. A news story came out about dry drowning. Do you know what a dry drowning is? When kids go to a pool and swim and they never really go underwater. If they do go underwater for a short time, but they inhale water in their lungs and they inhale so much water in their lungs that they'll go home and go to bed at night and then just die in their sleep because there's water in their lungs. And I thought, this is horrific. And of course, the percentage of kids that have dry drownings is very, very low. But I told Beck, I said, 
I feel like all the news does is find stories to make people worry and fearful, right? And I've had my kids in a lot of pools in a lot of years, and it is a testimony to the sovereignty of God, because every time you step in a public pool, you're taking, you know, every germ and possibility into your own hands. You ever seen those videos where they show you how much urine's in a public pool? You know what a public pool is? You are swimming in a public urinal. That's what it is. Even Michael Phelps said he pees in the pool. And I'm going to tell you something. If Michael Phelps pees in the pool, you know all these kids are not getting out whenever they want to go pee, right? I'm just saying, all right? I'm more afraid of the urine than I am dry drowning. I'll just be honest. I have been for years. I like my pool. At least I know whose urine it is that I'm swimming in. (laughs) Anyway, that was not in the notes today. (laughs) Next commandment, moving back to scripture. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom after he killed has authority to cast into hell. Literally in the Greek, it would best be rendered, I will show you who to fear. That would be the best way to render it, you know, in in what he's saying here. And he's saying, fear God. Don't fear these dictators that roll up and that rise up. You want to be... (laughs) You want to be void of the fear of man? You want that removed from your, ha- your life? The Bible doesn't say this. It doesn't say, uh, don't fear man, comma, if you don't want to fear man, buck up cowboy. That's not what it says, right? It doesn't say, buck up cowboy and watch John Wayne movies because this is a raw, dark, pagan culture that we live in. And you just got to be tough if you're going to live in this culture. So buck up cowboy. No, that's not the prescription. That's not the remedy. Praise God it's not. Right? I enjoy John Wayne movies, they're fine. But the prescription is what? Fear God, right? Fear God. I want to read you a quote from A.W. Tozer. Does anybody know who that is? He was a preacher from yesterday. He wrote this quote in the 1960s. That's how old this quote is, okay? For those of you that went to high school in the 90s, some of you in here, did you know that we are as removed? From the 19, high schoolers in high school right now are as removed from the 90s as we were in the 90s from the 1960s. Doesn't that make you feel good, Zach? Makes you feel good, doesn't it? Here's what Tozer said in the 60s. The self-assurance of modern Christians, so 1960s Christians would have been modern, the basic levity in so many Christian gatherings, the shocking disrespect for the person of God are evident of deep blindness of heart. Many call themselves by the name of Christ, talk much about God, and pray to Him sometimes, but evidently do not know who He is. For the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, but this this fearing today is not found among Christian men at all. Here's my question. Has this gotten better or worse in the local church since the 1960s, you think? John Murray said in his book on ethics, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. The emphasis of Scripture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament requires no less significant portion. What's he saying? That both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the heartbeat of godliness is not what you wear, what you eat, or the external things that you do or your disciplinary practices. The heart of godliness is that at a very base level, 
in your heart, you fear God above anyone else and all other things. You know, a hundred years ago, if somebody was trying to describe to you a godly person, they would say, that is a godly, that is a God-fearing woman, or that is a God-fearing man. But we don't talk that way now. Have you noticed that? People don't say that anymore. They don't, they don't use that phrase. And I think it's because we've gotten sucked into psychological language, which sort of warns itself over to fear is always bad in all situations. It should be eradicated all the time. And that is not the teaching of the Bible. And, and so what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying here, you fear God because he is sovereign over death. I'm going to be mean for a minute. Can I be mean for a minute this morning? There's a lot of limp-wristed preachers out there that are going around and making statements like, God never kills anybody. The devil is the only one who kills people. Rubbish. Hogwash. Have you read the Bible? What Bible are you reading? Because when I read Scripture... I see God directly responsible for death multiple times in both the Old Testament and the New. (laughs) What happened to Ananias and Sapphira when they came in in Acts and lied about how much money they gave to the church? Who killed them? Did Peter kill them? Who killed them, church? God. Don't you give me this baloney about God doesn't kill anybody. Can I tell you something? Here's what. Here's a few passages to consider. Just a few on this issue. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Listen to 1 Samuel 2, 6. The Lord kills and makes alive. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. If you have a problem with this, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with Jesus. God is to be feared because he has an authority that no mortal has. Remember what I said earlier? All these people can kill you. Only Jesus, God, can kill you and cast you away into eternal uh, darkness, into hell. Greek word here, Gehenna. Let me see if I can describe this for you, right? This concept of hell. By the way... (laughs) Gehenna, the valley, was basically the ancient dump, right? You know what that is, right? Where you take all your trash back before there was recycling, right? They would take their trash and they would burn it here in this valley. Burn it day and burn it night. Eventually it got to a point where some of those stock animals, the sheep and the cows and the ox and things like that, that would die and couldn't get to them to harvest them quick enough, they would take those whole carcasses over to Gehenna and tossed them in to be burned with the trash. And then they had a problem in their legal system where those common criminals that were executed, their bodies were left after they had been crucified and killed, and they weren't going to give them a quite proper burial like they did the Jews 
who were in good standing with the community and with God. So they took the dead bodies of criminals who had been executed and threw it into, guess where? Gehenna to be burned with the trash and with the dead livestock. What do you think that smelled like? Can you imagine what wafted out of the valley of Hena, right? That is, and let me tell you something. That is just a child's play, Crayola crayon rendering of what hell is most accurately like. It is an environment of eternal torment and death and destruction forever removed from the presence of God's mercy and grace. And Jesus says, you fear him. See, here's the thing. People want a God that they have fashioned and made like them. And they want a God. Do you remember the T.Y. little babies that were real popular a few years ago? Like those T.Y. little beanie babies. There was one, this one little bear. He was real, real soft and squishy. Do you remember him? I can't remember his name. His name was Fuzzy or something like that. You just could just love on that little bear all day. Just squeeze him. People want a God like that. Just love that little bear. Love you, right? Give him little kisses. Let me ask you something. When God appears in Scripture before people, when people kept a glimpse of who God is, is that the reaction people have? Like when God shows up in front of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, does Elijah say... God, thank you, you're here. You come here. Let me give you kisses. Just get over here, you little warm, fuzzy thing. Just is that, how, is that people's reaction to God in Scripture when God shows up? No, it is not. When God shows up in the temple for Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, the very foundations of the temple shake. The holiness of God is beheld by Isaiah, and he says, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among of unclean people. He thinks he is utterly done, because for sinful humanity to come into the presence of a holy, righteous God is jarring and traumatic. <laughs> it's traumatic for us to be in the presence of God like that. People make a God like them because if you make a God like you, there's nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to fear a God just like you because you understand you and you made a deal with you, right? I hear this from people that are engaged in gross, rank, immoral sin. They'll say, I've got an understanding with God. And I want to say, which God? The God of the Bible as Jesus presents him here or a God you've made up in your mind? You might have an understanding with the God you made up in your mind, but not the God that Jesus is calling us to fear in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. So what does it mean to fear God? Well, Bruce Ware, a gift that God has given the church in our current day, says this. To fear the Lord means to tremble before Him because of the holiness of His character and His just judgment against all wickedness. I'm going to tell you this. 
I'm going to be mean again. It's like a sermon of me being mean, but I'm just, this is the reality of it. I am sick to death as a pastor of people thinking that the way we approach God is the same way we approach our dad and, and being casual. I understand in one sense the sentiment of it, but God of the God of the Bible, the God that Jesus is calling us to fear here, is not, he's not talking about some kind of fatherly respect. I love my dad. I wouldn't trade him for the world. And I respect him immensely. Jesus is talking about something past that. Something greater than that. If you only fear God in that sense, I would submit to you this morning, you don't truly know him. His judgments against all wickedness. He is bound in his mercy and beauty. To be fearing God here is to resolve in humble obedience to all that Christ has called us to. How do you know if you fear God? It's not just about saying or singing or being led here with mere words. Yes, I know a bit about God, so it places me in a position where I'm feared. Uh, I fear God, not necessarily. Opposition to unrighteousness and weakness. Or excuse me, opposition to unrighteousness and then a commitment to obedience to Christ. That's the way you fear God. Being in agreement with Scripture at a heart level and not just a lip search level. To do as Christ has commanded. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll keep my what? Commandments. It's full of commandments to fear God. There's a, there's a need to directly trust Him. I'm, I'm always weary and scared in prayer time of being too flippant in approaching God because of the call here being so clear in this passage. You know, in the Bible, there, the Bible is absolutely chocked full of commands to fear God. From, from Genesis to Revelation, it is full of commands. That we could actually spend a month where I would take you through and show you everywhere the Bible says to fear God more than man. But wrapped up in fearing God is that we trust God too. All of us have talked about or heard the story or many of us are familiar with Abraham and his faith when he was sacrificing Isaac. But few of us actually talk about what Abraham feared as he lifted the flint knight to, to the throat of his son, ready to sacrifice his Godhead command. And the angel of the Lord called out, Stop! God, he says, we, God knows now, Abraham, that you... What does he say? Fear God. Let me show you some passages quickly here. This is just a sampling of the depth that is there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach to you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all His statutes and commands which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Verse 13 in chapter 6, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him shall you serve, and by His name shall swear. In verse 24 in chapter 6, 
And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always and that he might preserve us alive as we were this day. Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and to observe the Lord's commandments and decrees I give you today for your own good. Over and over and over, we're reminded to fear God. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Marcion heresy from the early church. It was a heresy that's probably most people don't know today, but Marcion's heresy was simply this. He said that the God of the Old Testament was mean, judgmental, and fiery, and not safe. But the God of the New Testament is loving, kind, helpful, and safe. That was his heresy. He took those passages that he thought were a little too Jewish and just cut them out of the scriptures altogether. Now, not many of you in here today would say, well, I believe in the Marcion heresy. But there are some today who would try to deceive us into thinking that somehow the God of the New Testament is safer than the God of the Old Testament. And I'm telling you from the word of God this morning, you are no safer with the God of the New Testament than you are with the God of the Old Testament because it's the same God. How many of you are C.S. Lewis fans? Chronicles of Narnia? Remember that scene as the youngest one is watching and Aslan's walking away? And she says, is he a safe lion? And one of the others say to her, no, he's not safe, but he is good. He is good. The New Testament is full of commands to fear God. I want to give you about three or four here, just real fast as we close. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Ephesians 5, 21. This is a one another command. It's interesting here how these are attached. It says, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In this passage, Paul inserts Jesus Christ in for God as they are one and the same. It is a passage about the Trinity. It is a passage about the authority that Jesus has to kill the body and the soul. 1 Peter 1.17 If you address if If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And then for your own edification today, for your own growth in Christ, go home this afternoon at some point and read Revelation chapter 15. The whole chapter is about the martyrs that are in heaven whom their body was killed And the song that they sing in heaven all through eternity, praising God, and it is about fearing Him. So then the question emerges here today. Who do you fear? Do you fear man or do you fear God? Do you want to be known as someone who fears God? Or do you want to be known as someone who blends into the shadows and no one notices? 
Bishop Hooper was one of the great Protestant reformers in England years ago. He moved from the Catholic Church and became a Protestant and became saved under the great preaching and teaching of men like Martin Luther and others at the time. And they had captured him and were interrogating him. And his inquisitors from the Catholic Church said, if you will simply recant your profession of faith in Christ and salvation, if you'll just recant, then we will spare you the horrible death of burning at the stake and we'll give you a merciful death by the sword. So we'll just cut your head off real fast and not burn you alive if you'll just recant Jesus right now. Bishop Hooper's response was this. His words will live forever, most likely. Life is sweet and death is bitter, but eternal life is sweeter and eternal death is even more bitter. In other words, he was saying he feared not those who could take his life, those who could kill his body. He feared the one who had authority over the body and the soul. Martin Luther, I love old hymns. One of my favorite hymns of all time is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. How many of you know that hymn? Raise your hand if you know that hymn. I want, to, I want you to remember one line from that. This line was penned as Martin Luther was being chased to be killed at his, at his time as he was preaching the gospel. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. Those were not mere words from Martin Luther. That's what he lived on a daily basis. Question is today, what about you? Do you fear God? If people were to describe your life, would they say you were a God-fearer? Norm MacDonald died this week. Did you know that? Anybody watch Norm MacDonald on Saturday Night Live? I hope Norm MacDonald's in heaven. I do. I don't wish my worst enemy to hell. But there's a bit of a cloud of confusion about where Norm MacDonald was. And I'll just tell you, that does not bode well. Right? At times, Norm MacDonald seems to say things that a Christian would say. And other times, he seems to say things that a Christian would never dare say. I hope he made it right in the end. He seemed to have some influence of the gospel. And I hope I get to see Norm when I go to heaven. But I just don't know. Don't make the conclusion of your life a confusion to those that are around. Make it very clear who you fear so that you fear no man or no woman. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Lord, we hear the call. Come and die. Come and fear Come and tremble. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for fashioning gods of our own liking. Forgive us for fearing gods that we have made with our minds. Lord, restore in us. Let us be known at this church as a people who primarily fear God above all. Fear you above all. What can mere men do to us but take the body? But Lord the authority that you have. You are perfect. You are right. You are just and you are good. Help us today to tremble at that truth and to be strangely comforted 
that our hearts would push us forward and excel. God, you said in your passage today, you care for the birds that are in flight. You know when each one of them falls to the ground. You know the numbers of hair on our heads today. You know how sin-sick our hearts are this morning, how infected with fear of man we are. Come, Lord Jesus, and cleanse us of this. Father, help us to be free from the snare of fear of man and to fear you and you alone. Thank you for these precious ones who are here today to worship you and hear your truth. Spur us on to good works out of fear and gratitude to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you have heard Christ speak and you're realizing, I think I have been worshiping a God I have made. I have not worshiped the God of the Bible, not worshiped the God Jesus talks about here. Won't you come now? Come and know him and fear him today. He has been merciful to extend this invitation to you as we sing. I'll be in the back to receive you.